What are the biggest challenges you've seen people face around getting their business model switched across to the membership model and how have they solved them? Yeah, well, your example is a great one, actually, Ash. You know, the first one is just getting over the hurdle of, of doing it. James Schramko here from superfastbusiness.com and you're listening to my friend Ash Roy on ProductiveInsights.com. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to www.productiveinsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. Hello there, this is Ash Roy, the founder of ProductiveInsights.com with a quick message for you. If you'd like to grow your business profitably and fast, head over to GetMeToDone.com where you can learn more about the Productive Insights membership program, which is designed to help you grow your business profitably and fast. We help you get clear on your target audience and create an irresistible offer around the specific problem that you solve for your audience. Once we've established an offer that's a good fit for your audience, we then help you to scale your business using marketing automation, which means you spend less time working and more time enjoying the fruits of your labor. If you'd like to learn more, head over to getmetodone.com right now and take that first step towards your business success and your time freedom. I hope you enjoy this episode and get a ton of value from it. I look forward to seeing you at getmetodone.com. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast. This is Ash Roy, the founder of ProductiveInsights.com and the host of the Productive Insights Podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube, please like this video if you find it useful. Today's guest is the founder of Peninsula Strategies, LLC, a consulting firm that helps companies excel in the membership economy and a subject matter expert on membership models and subscription pricing. Her first book, The Membership Economy, which we discussed in episode 43, and you can find out more about that at ProductiveInsights.com forward slash 43, is an international bestseller, and her widely anticipated second book, The Forever Transaction, is now available. Her clients have included Microsoft, Netflix, The Wall Street Journal, and over 100 membership economy organizations. Over the course of her career, Robbie has worked in or consulted to clients in more than 20 industries. If you're watching this on YouTube and you find this useful, please do share this video with somebody who you think might benefit. And if you're listening to it on the podcast, I recommend you head over to our YouTube channel to watch Robbie and I speak in person. You can do that at (laughs) youtube.com forward slash Productive Insights. So welcome back to the Productive Insights podcast, Robbie. And let's start by talking about the key changes that have happened in the subscription world since we last spoke, particularly since COVID-19 has struck. Yeah, well, so since episode 43, uh, a lot has happened. The biggest thing is, you know, when I wrote The Membership Economy, I really wrote it as a one-pound business card to say to the world, this is how I see a massive trend that is changing virtually every industry, moving from ownership to access, from transactional to relationship, from one to many, subscription pricing, digital community. And people weren't seeing, they weren't connecting the dots. They weren't seeing that what Netflix was doing was something that, you know, a retailer could do or something that an insurance company could do or a manufacturer could do. 
flash forward five years later, everybody gets that finally. Almost every industry has experimented with subscriptions, has digital community in some form. And what they're saying to me is, I get it. It's important. I see what a good model it is. It's hard for us to do, or we don't seem to be cracking the code on how to do it. And so that's why I wrote The Forever Transaction, is it's really much more how to, and it breaks down, how do you get started with a subscription business, whether you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, or whether you're inside a much larger organization and you're doing something innovative. Second part is about scaling your business, right infrastructure, right culture, right metrics. And the last section is for businesses that have had a subscription for a long time, but that are getting a little long in the tooth. How do you stay relevant and how do you continue to attract tomorrow's members? So that's episode 43 to today. Yeah. And then do you want to, do you want to talk a little about spring of 2020 and what's going on with COVID? Yeah, sure. Let's dig into that a little bit further into the conversation. I wanted to just mention that since we last spoke, I have launched my own recurring subscription business and I now have a online business growth coaching subscription business and it has worked far better than I expected. Something that was holding me back initially was I was worried that there wouldn't be enough members and it would feel like a bit of a ghost town, but that wasn't a problem. The key thing that I discovered along the way was having an engaged community that's getting results is more important than having a voluminous community, which isn't necessarily getting results. So the ghost town anxiety that I had was very quickly solved because I turned it into an advantage by saying, look, there's a few members in here right now, but I can give you a lot more personal attention. And I was able to get much better results. That's something that I discovered since we last spoke. What are the biggest challenges you've seen people face around getting their business model switched across to the membership model? And how have they solved them? Yeah, well, your example is a great one, actually, Ash. You know, the first one is just getting over the hurdle of of doing it, especially for businesses that are already doing well. So the question of what if I take this successful client relationship, put them into a subscription and cannibalize myself. So I make less money from the subscription and I don't attract new people. And the ones that I have don't stay for a long time because the model doesn't really work. So I think that's kind of the getting started challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, for some organizations, just having the resources to do it. So in in the case of a solopreneur or small business, setting aside those resources, the hours and the dollars can be challenging. And in a bigger company, getting approval to have the budget and the runway and the staff to experiment. Uh, You just have to have the right mindset. I think as organizations grow, you know, the challenges with scaling, um, it often needs a different kind of person to scale a business that is same as in in any kind of entrepreneurial endeavor. The people that are kind of visionary, creative, iterative, flexible, that are great for a startup are not necessarily the best people for scaling a business where you need process, discipline, consistency, attention to detail, repetitive processes. So that's, I think, the other kind of the big challenge in the middle and also creating the right culture. And then for organizations, this is something, you know, that you may come up against as your model is really successful is that what happens is kind of the tyranny of the members, which is, you know, you create this community, the members feel like it's it's theirs because they're so engaged with you and they're so engaged with each other. 
that then they're not necessarily welcoming to tomorrow's members. Right. Because they come with a different mindset. They come with different questions. They come with different expectations. They might say, hey, why aren't we doing this on Zoom? And, and current members say, well, we like doing it the way we always did it via chat or we like doing it in person. And so that's kind of the questions that come into play in that third phase where you have a print newsletter, new members want digital, things like that. And the yeah. organization becomes so focused on the old members that they're completely unattractive to new members. That's where something really important comes in, which is culture. And I have been fiercely protecting the culture in my membership. The way I've done that is I've said that the founding members get grandfathered in for the life of their membership. And I've handpicked these founding members because to me, they're going to be the people that protect the culture. But they're also people who will, in my view, be adaptable and open to change because the membership culture is going to change undoubtedly. But certain things in the culture of the membership will remain the same. Integrity, the desire and the tendency to help each other, not to try and pitch each other inside the membership constantly, things like that. To your point about scaling, something I thought was interesting that occurred to me was Steve Jobs, while he was definitely capable of scaling Apple, and he did to a great extent, it's interesting to me that Steve Jobs was a builder and he pushed a lot of change into the business on many occasions. Whereas Tim Cook has got a background in supply chain and he's a bit more process driven. And it's interesting that Apple of late has moved more towards the membership model. Whereas before Tim Cook, it was largely you know, a products business, which, which happened to bake in software. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's such an interesting point. I, I never really thought of it as being a Tim Cook, Steve Jobs change so much as a saturated the market with hardware, need a new source of growth, tap into subscriptions and membership economy. But I think you're right. I think that to be successful, one of the things that I I think I wrote about it in in the first book, the difference in culture between Apple and Google, where Apple is really about perfecting the product and then releasing it with like some hand waving and ta-da, you know, look at our beautiful, and they are beautiful, right? Look at our beautiful iPhone or it's magical. Whereas Google and a lot of the more iterative digital companies, they put something out, it's mediocre, they fix it, they fix it, they edit it, they fix it. And eventually it's amazing. It's a very different way to design product. And part of subscription is that you're constantly tinkering with the offering. And at the same time, you're really, really consistent and deliberate with the delivery. Yes. With that forever promise. So it does take a different kind of culture and a different kind of leadership, for sure. Another interesting question that I have is pricing. Now, one of my members is an HR consultant, and she does a lot of consulting work for companies. And at this time, she's very busy because there's lots of companies needing to make lots of decisions (laughs) around how to deal with their employees. If she chose to move to a subscription-based model, which we've been discussing in the past, how does she decide on a price. Surely one of the things that would come in would be customer lifetime value and tenure of the members. Something else that I also recall is a conversation I had with Stu McLaren, who's involved in memberships as well. And I said to him, what's the difference in your view between a membership-based business and a one-off product? And he said, memberships that charge recurring income imply delivery of recurring value. 
So I'd like to bring those two ideas together and ask you, given that a membership typically involves delivering some kind of recurring value in exchange for some recurring fee, presumably a lower fee than it would be if it was sold as a one-off thing, but spread out over a longer period of time because it's a recurring model. How does one come up with pricing and where does the customer lifetime value and customer lifetime profit come into that decision? We could talk about this all day, but I have some thoughts. So the first thing is for your client, there are a lot of different ways she can use a membership or subscription pricing in her model. So for example, the consulting firm Bain has most of their revenue comes from large fixed price projects, Mm -hmm. seven figure, and they're kind of few and far between. And the company calls and says, we need a new strategy for this. So we need to look at that market. And it's a big project. What they've done is they still have those, but they also have the Bain Net Promoter Loyalty Forum, which is a community. They pay effectively a, a subscription fee to be members. And it's for the senior leader in the front line. So either they run retail or they run customer success or customer support. And it's the top person in that part of the organization. They meet, I don't know, every six weeks or three months. It's much less expensive than a Bain project, but it, they charge quite a bit for it. And what it does is it smooths out the relationship. So right. it means that Bain sees these most valuable clients on a regular basis and is talking to them all the time about the challenges they're facing, which, of course, make it easier to sell to them you know, to identify what their challenges are and work with them. So your client could build a model like that where the subscription might even just be a break even or maybe even a lose money or a marketing expense. And, you know, it leads to these big spiky projects that she does. And in that case, she should think about it just the way she'd think about any marketing expense. The other way, which is if she said, I want to take all of my expertise and I want to build a community around my expertise. And in that case, she needs to think about what is the value she's providing. She also needs to think about what's her investment and then kind of triangulate. The third thing to triangulate with is what is the perceived value for the market? So what do I need to earn? What is the value that the person will see? And what are their other options so that you want to make sure that those things all fit together? Does that make sense? So having healthy food for me is priceless, right? If I needed food, I would pay any price. However, there are many options for me that I can get for a lower price than, you know, any price. And so even though you're, let's say you're a chef and you might say, well, Robbie, you said you would pay anything if you needed food. It's the most important thing. I'd say yes, but I can get it for, you know, I can get a pretty good meal for six bucks. So I'm not going to pay you a million. Yeah. So I think those three, you have to know what the market has available. If you're the only deal in town, it's very different than if there are substitutes. That's a very good framework, actually, to come up with some kind of a, an idea around pricing. Something that I thought of as you were talking was something Ryan Dice talked about in episode 170 about this conversion funnel. And he talked about starting off with a low-priced offer. And I sometimes think of the membership charge that you described that Bain has as sort of an entry point offer that preserves that monetary relationship with the customer that can then be ratcheted up into a higher level transaction, which is somewhat balanced off by that recurring charge, which means that 
the one-off charges won't be as spiky because you're charging them a retainer. Yeah, exactly. And it's also the model that a lot of uh, retailers are using right now, started by Amazon Prime, but also Costco, where you pay an annual fee for access to benefits that make it less expensive and a better experience. Yes. So there's, I think the important thing for our audience to take away is that you can create a lot of different packaging for value using principles of subscription, community, membership. But the important thing is what is that forever promise? What's the long-term value your chart yes. you want to provide to your client? And then what's the best way to deliver it? Something that I've recently brought to bear in the membership is tiered pricing. So currently for my founding members, I have a $99 monthly fee and they get a whole ton of value, including when they first join, they get two face-to-face calls. The first one's a diagnostic. The second one's a prescriptive call. They get access to a private Facebook group. They get access to a whole bunch of content, to a course, to these sprints that we do most Tuesdays and Thursdays where we do three 25-minute Pomodoro sprints. We work for 25 minutes together in a Zoom room, and then we break after the 25 minutes, and we quickly evaluate ourselves on a scale of 1 to 10 in terms of our focus levels. And then we say, okay, for the next 25 minutes, I'm going to work on X. And it can be on anything. There's no agenda for that. So people really get through a lot of work in that one and a half hours, sometimes more than they do in a day. And that's working great guns. Now, that's all included in the $99 package. But a lot of my members have been saying to me, you're charging too little for this. So because they supported me when I started, they keep the grandfather pricing. But when we do roll out the new prices, the sprints and the Facebook group is going to be at $2.99 a month. And then for $3.49 a month, the early access to interviews, early access to certain kinds of content, direct access to me via private discussion thread, that goes into the top level. So we go to three levels, one, two, and three. And the third level includes the two face-to-face calls and private discussion thread with access to me and so on and so forth. So there's that as well. You can have a tiered pricing approach too. Yeah, absolutely. So here's what I would say about tiered pricing. I think you did it right to start with just one price for your subscription because the more complicated your pricing, the less your customers are going to trust you because you're asking them to understand your pricing. And so they have to become experts on your pricing. And the minute that you're telling somebody, you have to figure out my pricing to decide what's best for you, they think, oh, well, I better have my wits about me because if I don't pick correctly, I'm going to overpay. So you always want to start with the simplest pricing. And then it sounds like sort of two things are going on with what you just described. One of them is you basically had a beta test where you priced it deliberately low in order to learn a lot and also to seed your community. So that's not a tier. That's not available forever. I couldn't come in right now and say, okay, Ash, I want I want that one. I want the $99 one. You'd say, well, no, that's not a tier. That was a limited time offer. That was a beta test for a select group of people. So then you have two tiers of pricing after that. And what I would say, and we don't have to get into, you know, your your whole business unless unless you want to, but if it were me, I would want to be really clear about who would want one and who would want the other. Because again, you want to make it easy for your buyer to buy. You want to be able to say, if you're this kind of person, the cheaper option is perfect for you. If you're that kind of person, but you don't want to say, you know, 
I put in less value here and there's more value there, that becomes hard for someone to understand. So I would just be thinking about, you know, is it because there's more features? It's more, there's more service. It's more volume. That's great advice. So maybe the tier one can be for startups with a limited budget. Maybe tier two can be for established businesses that are looking for early access to premium content. And then maybe tier three can be for successful businesses who are looking for personalized one-on-one. Okay. You may not need more tiers, right? Unless you have a reason. This is what I would say. And I'm not just saying this to you. I'm saying this sort of more for the audience. Don't create multiple tiers just to have multiple tiers. If you have one option that you believe is in the best interest for most of the people that you want to serve, just offer that. Say, look, this is my membership for startups. I serve startups. I provide them with this range. These are the best features that I've been able to come up with to help you achieve your goals. If I come up with a new feature that will also help, I will slot it in. If I decide that one of these features actually isn't good, I will pull it out. But what I'm promising you, my forever promise, is that I am going to do everything I can to help you be successful with your startup. Okay, so don't add, add complexity to your pricing unless you need to. Right. And here's, here's one other example that I, I had in my first book, SurveyMonkey, which was you know subscription to allow people to do online surveys. Yeah. And for a long time, they only had one model. If you went over a certain volume of number of people that you were sending your subscription, your survey out to, or number of questions. One of those two things, you paid a premium. And then they wanted to have more levels because they were finding that large enterprise companies like, you know, Unilever or Procter and Gamble were using their, you know, whatever it was, $300 a year solution or $100 a year solution. They said, wait, that doesn't make any sense. They should pay more and we should provide them more sophisticated services like a dashboard, like back office support. And so they came up with, you know, there's the basic, there's free, which is for like your book club or whatever. Then there's the basic model. And then there's one for small businesses. Yeah. So individuals and then um, professional researchers. And then the last one is for enterprise. Mm-hmm. The features, you start to think, okay, well, there's different features at each level because it's a very different use case. Right. Um, what I'm going to do as a solopreneur is really different than if Coca-Cola is out doing surveys of all of their different kinds of customers for all of their different products. They're going to need to manage the logos. They're going to need you know, enterprise support. They're going to need back office integration with their list. Very different model. Okay. So the features corresponded to the use cases. And that's a good yeah. takeaway for me. You know, Think about the use cases when you're coming up with your yeah. Yeah. product strategy and your features and your pricing and so on. Let's talk a bit about how you think the COVID-19 situation has impacted the membership economy. Yeah. Well, the first thing is subscription businesses are proving to be much more resilient and sustainable than other business models. So there was some data that came out from Zawara last week. 89% of the subscription businesses on their platform are either growing number of members or staying flat relative to last year. So first quarter of 2020 is flat or growing for 89% of their subscribers. So that's just, you know, kind of mind boggling. If you're thinking about subscription, it's a more resilient model for a bunch of reasons. One is, of course, the recurring revenue. It's a habit. It's, It's the way that they get their job done. 
So they're not going to look for alternatives as opposed to something transactional where I can just choose not to buy again. Here I have to choose to leave. Um, the other thing is that many subscription businesses have this forever promise where they're very aligned with the customer's goals. That's their North Star. What is it that I'm doing for the customer? And they continue to evolve and they're structured to be agile, to continue to change their offering. So that just that mindset and the kind of culture that subscription businesses require makes the organization more customer centric, more relationship oriented, more long term oriented which of course maximizes your chances of retention. The one other thing I would add, which is super interesting to me, is that this is actually a time, a moment when people are looking for new habits because we've, had, we've been forced to change our habits, right? We can't see people in person, so we use Zoom. We can't go to our exercise class, so we get a Peloton or we do online streaming of classes. We can't go to the restaurant, so we get delivery. So for a lot of businesses, this is an opportunity where people are more willing to either try your solution in general, or for people who've had longtime customers who resisted going digital, this is an opportunity to move your customers more toward a digital footprint because they can't come to your conference. They can't come to your meeting. They have to come to your digital event. Great point, Robbie. I love that. You're absolutely right. People are looking to develop new habits. And I do think that in some respects, we are at an inflection point and we're going to see new ways of doing business emerge. And yes, like an elastic band, things may snap back to the way they were pre-COVID-19, assuming all the lockdowns eventually disappear. But there will be a certain proportion of people that are going to say, well, wait a minute, this online solution to do meetings, for example, works a lot better than meeting in person we're not going back to the way we were doing it before. And right. I think that- Lots of innovation. Lots of innovation. Another thing in relation to a point you made about subscriptions is the idea that if you increase pain of disconnect, and this is a phrase I heard from James Schramko, if you increase the pain of disconnect and you make it so valuable to your members that it will hurt them more to cancel than it will to continue on, then that's a great thing. And that comes back to adding enormous value. And that comes back to my conversation with Seth, where we talked about empathy and generosity. I think as a provider of services, the more generous you are, the more empathetic. Is it empathetic or empathic? I can't, I can never get figured out. Empathetic, empathetic, yeah. The more empathetic you are with your customers, the more likely you are to retain them. So that's, in my view of probably the most important retention strategy, which is really deeply understand your customers and evolve with them as they evolve through their journeys. The other thing is, as long as you're doing your job right, people will eventually, in my experience, start to see your membership as a utility, much like their phone bills or their electricity bills. And they will not consider disconnecting unless you really mess up badly. But the idea is not only to not mess up badly, but to deliver an epic experience and keep raising the bar. Yeah, exactly. You nailed it in terms of both the empathy for the customer driving your innovation and the fact that your customer, there's a moment where your customer takes off their consumer hat, puts on a member hat and stops looking for alternatives. Exactly. And they say, this is how I'm going to solve my problem. And when you get a customer to do that, you have such a valuable relationship with that customer 
you know, number one, it's really, you know, you, it monetizes, you actually generate this large recurring revenue, great lifetime value, but also you have an obligation to be ethical and to look at the reason they're trust. This is what I think people forget. The reason I trust you with my credit card and let you charge me every month is because I have confidence that you have my best interests at heart and I don't need to worry about it. And a lot of times, not that bad, I hear executive CEOs saying, oh, our customers, they won't even notice if we slip in an extra charge or if we downgrade the service by 10%. And that's just and sloppy. it's true, right? It's true for the short term, but for the long term, when you finally figure it out, you say, wait a minute, I was trusting them and they were taking advantage of me. This is exactly right. You never take your members' trust in you for granted at any point. And I can say, in my case, the evidence is that the membership is growing a lot by referrals. And if you're doing the right thing, you'll probably start getting more and more referrals. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's another advantage of subscriptions is you really get to know your customers. And if you're doing a good job, you can see how, first of all, your net promoter score, how happy your customers are with yeah. you and also referability for sure. Do you have some kind of a framework that you can recommend to our listener in terms of action steps they can take around switching their business from a transactional model to a membership model? Yeah, I mean, that's what the whole new book is. What to do when you're just starting, whether you're an entrepreneur starting out on your own one person or you're working inside a larger organization and then how to, you know, you know, at that early stage, I'll just walk you through some of those early steps. You want to, first of all, make sure that you have the runway to launch a subscription business. Because as we've talked about earlier, you make less money every month, usually, and you make it up by having a long-term relationship. Um, so it'll take a while before the revenue is where, let's say, the revenue of the lumpy business is. So if you're working in a company that already has a going concern, you need an understanding across the organization that this revenue is going to take a little while to pick up. But you can do it simultaneously as long as you address the cannibalization issue. Right. So if you're starting out and you're in an organization or you're a solopreneur entrepreneur, the first thing you want to do is make sure you understand that this is a long-term game. Right. Gotcha. Right. Second thing you want to do is have resources for a long-term game. Okay. Right. You, so, so for example, if you do an experiment like your HR client, right, she does an experiment, it might not work the first time. She's going to have to change it. There's a temptation to say subscription doesn't work for me because my very first experiment failed. So you need that right mindset. And then you need to come up with a forever promise for your customers. What is it that's going to justify subscription pricing? What is the promise I make to them? And then you want to come up with your minimum viable product. What is it that I'll offer them every month to justify that loyalty? What's the first step? And who is the best customer for that minimum viable product? So you might say, ultimately, I want to serve you know, I want to serve all entrepreneurs everywhere in the world at every stage, right? But today, the thing I can do really, really well is help startups that are bootstrapped or mm -hmm. startup professional services firms. And over time, you can layer in more value, which justifies broadening your target audience. But in the beginning, you want it both the, the product that you're creating, the minimum viable product and the best customer. You want to be super clear and precise and narrow about that. Mm -hmm. And then you want to continue to tinker until you nail it. Mm -hmm. And 
that's when you start looking at scaling. But that, those are the things you do in that first phase. Okay. And how do you approach the scaling phase? Scaling phase often, as we discussed earlier, requires a different kind of person to do the scaling, not yeah. always. And you want to usually the first thing that, that people are driven by is either they need to hire more people to do it, they need to operationalize it, and they need to create technology infrastructure to support it. So when you're starting out, for example, you might be you know, sending out your updates via email where you put all the names into your into the you know, two box and you send it out. And then you say, no, you know, actually, I need a CRM. Right. Oh, actually, you know, and maybe you're getting your your payments are being delivered via Venmo on your phone. And you're like, no, that doesn't really work. I think I need a billing system, you know, and then you need more people to help you. So those two things, culture and infrastructure are usually what drives that next phase. And the questions there are really about consistency, scalability, having all the pieces work together. And in a bigger organization, you often have the problem that the rest of the company is very transactional. And so they don't understand all the pieces. They're like, well, yeah, you have this subscription thing, but I'm going to keep building products the way I always did. So like newspapers, for example, or software, if you you want to sell subscription software, it requires a different kind of architecture, a different kind of product management. And I would imagine that as you're scaling your member numbers, certain things will also need to change as you grow, right? So first hundred members, you may find that a certain strategy works, and certain fulfillment methods work. But then when you scale from 100 to 1,000, your acquisition strategies may have to change and your delivery and fulfillment strategies may have to change because the tools that were working before may not be working for that next exactly. level. One of the stories I have in The Forever Transaction is about a subscription box entrepreneur who started on her kitchen table. You yeah. know, that only lasts for so long, right? Right. <laughs> Were you boxing the, the the deliveries on your you know on your little kitchen table and then bringing them to the neighborhood post office? Is there any particular software that you find really lends itself? Like I've heard Kajabi is venturing into the subscription business and they apparently are fairly good. Any other software that you're aware of that really allows somebody to go from zero to thousand without suffering too much in the way of growing pains? You know, Ash, so first of all, everybody has growing pains. It's a painful process to grow. So anybody who tells you they're going to help you not have growing pains is lying. They can help mitigate it and they can help hold your hand while you're going through it, but you will go through it. In terms of of technology, what I found is there's actually an explosion of technology available. It's both vertical and horizontal. So it's by industry. So there's subscription billing software, subscription content management, subscription CRM that comes out of industry. So out of newspaper, out of telco, out of you know content media. But then there's also solutions that are you know horizontal, where it's like we're a billing platform, we're a CRM system, and that are extending into subscription. So they're kind of coming at it in both ways. And then there are the ones that say we're all things for a small organization. So for a small association or a solopreneur, we're a membership platform. And then as they get bigger, there's a whole different set. So hard to, I don't want to say one over the others, because just because there are so many, there's tons. I'll summarize the key action steps, and then we'll talk a bit more about the forever transaction. So we started off by talking about things that have changed since we last spoke in episode 43. And you explained that People have started to really understand, almost emotionally understand, the concept of memberships, where before it was kind of more of an intellectual awareness. Now they're starting to see it and they're embracing it more as a culture and as a 
Business Society. We talked about scaling and a bit about how Steve Jobs really built the product side of the business and Tim Cook, who interestingly has a background in supply chain and is more of a process dude. We've seen an increase in Apple's embracing the membership model through the games arcade membership and the music membership and now more recently the Apple TV Plus, which is also incidentally helping them to plug some fairly deep losses in revenue because of market saturation around their products. We talked about pricing and how we can use your triangulation approach. That was about 15 minutes of the conversation. I recommend going back and having a listen to that. That was very useful. And you explained that the more complex the pricing is, the less your customers trust you. So don't create additional complexity in pricing unless you absolutely need to. And a good way to think about features and presumably pricing is to think about use cases when you're coming up with those tiers or features and therefore prices. You explained that COVID-19 situation, the debacle, has shown that subscription businesses turn out to be more resilient than most. And according to one of the studies, 89% of the businesses remained largely unaffected despite this crisis. And then we talked about the importance of empathy and being aligned with your customer's goals and never taking your customer for granted when you have a membership business. Because even if your customer doesn't notice in the short term, they will eventually notice And hey, even if they don't notice, it's just not ethical to do it any other way. So the key is to keep your customer's best interests at heart. Don't try and stick your hand in the till just because you can. You're the trustee of the till. It's not your till. And that's an interesting way, I suppose, to think about it. You also talked about people looking for new habits around this time. And by the way, episode 175 with James Clear was all about atomic habits, which was a good episode. If you haven't checked it out, I recommend you check it out. Oh, yeah. And then we talked about the framework that you would use to launch a membership model and key action steps you can take. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I think we covered a huge amount. This is great. Uh, You're a very good interviewer. Yeah. Thank you. That's very kind. I appreciate it. So where can our listeners find out more about the Forever transaction and where can they get it? I know it's been fairly recently released. Absolutely. It's uh, Am- it's available on Amazon in uh, Kindle, print, and audio. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's available at all of your independent books- booksellers as well, and uh, Barnes & Noble, and pretty much anywhere books are sold. Is there a URL or something you can point us to where they can go to download it? Any information you can share with us where our listeners can find out more about you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, RobbieKelmanBaxter.com. Okay. Uh, myname.com or the book name forevertransaction.com are, are good places to go. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. And, you know, I'd love to offer your listeners the uh, chapter eight, the one about culture. Sure. Yes. Uh, oh, if, great. If okay. like, I'll, I'll make that available. I'll, I'll send that to you. Thank you. That would be wonderful. So if you're sending it to me as a PDF or something, I can link to it in the show notes in this episode, which will be available at ProductiveInsights.com forward slash 196. Be sure to visit ProductiveInsights.com forward slash 196 to access chapter eight. I think culture is super important in any business, but particularly in memberships. I think, Robbie, you've done an MBA yourself. Is that right? 
Yeah, from Stanford, I did. Yeah, so you did your MBA from Stanford, and I'm sure you studied all about culture and the importance of culture in an organization. It's one of the things that is hardest to change, takes between eight to 10 years to change the culture of an organization, but it's one of those invisible things that an organization lives or dies by. If you have a very poor culture, you're not going to have a very successful organization. And if you have a strong culture that is built on strong values, which often is influenced heavily by the CEO, you're going to end up with a great successful organization. And I believe that applies to memberships as well. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Robbie. And man, I look forward to speaking to you again soon when your next book is out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully before then. (laughs) All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks for being on the show. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today? 